Welcome to Highlawn Baptist Church in St. Albans, West Virginia, where our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. For more information, visit us online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. We're so glad you've decided to join us, and now we invite you to grab your Bible, if you're able, as we pray that you will be blessed by the preaching of the truth of God's Word today. Today is the third week of Advent, and it's joy. Luke 2, verses 8 through 12. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Joy is a good feeling in our souls produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Jesus in his word and in his works. Joy is what we are celebrating this third Sunday of Advent. Joy is what we are to ask the Holy Spirit for. The Bible says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The true definition of joy goes beyond the limited explanations presented in a dictionary, a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. True joy is limitless, life-defining, transformative reservoir waiting to be tapped into. It requires the utmost surrender, and like love, is a choice to be made. For God's children, the power of joy is never-ending. Although not one fruit of the Spirit is more important than the other, Joy enables us to experience the others in the way that Jesus did. As we light the candle of joy, let us remember the joy of the Lord, which is the gladness of heart, comes from knowing God, abiding in Christ, and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let us know Him in every aspect, in our decision-making, in our actions, in our behaviors, and communicate with him daily, for he is the foundation of our life. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of joy, which allows us to experience the fruits of the Spirit as you did, and provides us with the strength to serve and to minister to others in your name. Amen. If you would go ahead and take out your copy of God's Word and turn to Psalm chapter 30. Psalm chapter 30. Now through the four Sundays of Advent, we're concentrating on the virtues of the coming of the Messiah, of the Old Testament prophecies and longings. That just as we long today for the return of our Savior... We do so by ref reflecting on the longing for a Messiah, the longing of Israel for her king to come. And we turn now uh, to understand a little bit, bit of that to the words of Jesus' earthly ancestor, King David, the psalmist, as he presents this reality of what joy really is. I want to ask you something really quickly. 
in, in talking about joy versus happiness. The world longs after happiness. They long after uh, the things that will make me gratified in the here and now, the immediate. What makes me feel good? What circumstances can come into my life right now? What can I work to accomplish in this instant to give me a sense of fulfillness? Fulfilledness. Happiness, write this down, happiness is built on happenstance. That's where that word comes from. Joy, on the other hand, is a spiritual discipline and it's also a fruit of the Spirit. The practice of joy is the remembrance of what we have inside of us, or rather, who we have inside of us. Joy, uh, happiness is based on the happenstance of daily living. It can be easily taken away. Joy is not based on circumstances. Joy is based on a relationship. An eternal, connected, intimate relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit living within us. And it's a relationship that is only possible through the sacrifice of Christ. It is a relationship that sustains us through all of life's circumstances. It's a relationship that, if we will allow it to, helps us to maintain our focus on the things of eternity rather than the here and now. When we're tired, when we're angry, when we're hungry, when we're lonely, those are the times that the world can strip us of happiness very easily. In the times that the enemy will try to get us to take our focus off of our relationship with God and onto the things of this world. But if we pay attention to our relationship with Him and the guarantee that we have through the pen of the Apostle Paul that He who has begun a good work in you will draw it to completion, when we remember all the things that we have going for us as children of God, then that's a joy that this world cannot take away. In this particular passage of Scripture, David is actually remembering the past times that God has sustained him through all things. And he reflects on the sorrow of his present situation, but he does so knowing that God is faithful, God keeps his promises, and God will deliver him from whatever is coming his way. Starting with verse 1 of Psalm uh, chapter 30. Incidentally, when you get there in your copy of God's Word, say amen. amen. I will exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths, and you did not let my enemies gloat over me. O Lord my God, I called to you for help, and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You uh, spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only for a moment, but his favor lasts for how long? It does not end. For right now, as, as Paul puts it, we see but through the lens darkly. But the day is coming where we will see him face to face. Where right now we have conceptualization and the feelings given to us by the Holy Spirit, the assurance, the indwelling presence, and the fruit of the Spirit. But there is a day coming that our faith will be made sight, that we will stand in His physical presence and see our Savior face to face. 
His anger lasts for a moment, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. Weak being may stay for the night, but joy comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. And then unfortunately comes in all those times in life. When God seems distant. When God seems far away. When the circumstances of living in a fallen world threaten our joy. When they threaten rather to take our eyes off of Christ, off of eternity, and get us fixated on the here and now, fixated on that which will paralyze us. The dark night of the soul, however, for the Christian, as Paul would put it, rejoice when that happens, because that's when our sanctification kicks into high gear. The time when we develop the most as Christians, the times in our lives when we mature the most, are not the times when we're the happiest, but the times when we get stretched, the times when we get challenged, the times when we have to develop the coping skills through the power of the Holy Spirit necessary to keep our eyes focused on Him. So when those dark nights appear, God is still there. That's what David gets at. He's giving his present circumstances right now. When you hid your face, I was dismayed. Notice he, God didn't flee from his side, even though his presence was hidden. To you, Lord, I called. The Lord, to the Lord, I cry for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced, if I go down the pit? What will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. And then comes the reply after the challenge. Then comes the testimony of the king of Israel. You turn my wailing into what? To dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Let's bow our hearts together. Heavenly Father, help us always, always to keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Help us not to waver in doing the good works that you have set us about to do. Help us to proclaim your word with boldness and with knowledge, with conviction and with love. Help us, Lord to be the hands and feet of Christ as you have called us to be, to learn now about the discipline of joy, Lord, to remember you through all of life's circumstances and to praise and celebrate the God who has given so much for us, especially in the coming days ahead when we remember the day that God became a human being. For it is in the matchless name of Christ we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Now, there's a lot of things that come into it, so I will uh, ask you to make sure that you are taking notes in this one, because I know that I've preached about the difference between joy and happiness before, but there are a lot that goes into it. Again, happiness comes from happenstance, and that's where this part of the message comes in. What is the difference between the circumstances of conviction and the circumstance of shame? Shame is that which paralyzes. Shame is a weapon of the enemy. Shame is when we know that we do something wrong and the enemy reminds us of the fact that it was wrong. And it's in that sense of shame that we fear that we're going to be separated from our families, we're going to be separated from God, that we're going to be condemned. 
That is the goal of shame, to paralyze the believer into, into taking the eyes off of the fact that they are a child of the king and putting it on their faults instead. Conviction, on the other hand, is a gift of God. Now let me explain that. There's a difference between, uh, I think it was Charles, Dr. Charles Stanley that once said that he didn't like the phrase, uh, a sinner saved by grace, because he thought that that was a defeatist attitude. He preferred that we are a saint that sometimes sins. Let me try to explain that. Churches are not places for the perfect. Churches are not places for the perfect. In fact, if you're perfect, get out! Because you're going to mess the rest of us up. No, a church is a hospital for the soul. A church is a place for the imperfect. A church is a place for spiritual healing, for spiritual nourishment, for us to be grown up. There's only one perfect person who should ever be in a church, and that's Jesus of Nazareth himself. The rest of us are flawed, feeble, fickle, finite, and very frustrating, I'm sure. Amen? We are not perfect. But that's the point. We serve a God who is. And a God who, if we will be obedient, who if we will listen to the call of His voice, if we will let Him help us, if we will go through the valley of the shadow of death, knowing that He is with me, knowing that He is with us, then when we come to the other side of the valley, we will be sure that we'll be grown up. We will be shaped, conformed to His image. That's conviction. We know that a wrong has occurred, but instead of being paralyzed by it, we claim the grace of God, we claim the repentance of that sin. For if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and what? Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It's that cleansing part that's important. We need to lay down our sin when it happens. As Jesus says multiple times, Jesus does not accept sin. Jesus does not, has never, will never accept sin. However, he does, under the guise of repentance, accept the sinner. What does he say every time he confronts somebody that does ask in earnestly of repentance and forgiveness? Whoever confesses their sins to him, he accepts them, he forgives them their sins, and as long as their heart is coming to them in a penitent state, he says, go and sin no more. So repentance is tied into conviction. That's why we say whenever, one is, whenever anyone is struggling with the fact that they are a sinner and needs to come to the altar to receive that free pardon of sin before it is everlastingly too late, we call that condition the condition of con. Conviction, that they're under conviction, that they need to draw themselves into the presence of God so that He may fully receive them, may forgive them their sins, may heal their soul, and may write their names in the Lamb's book of life. Shame paralyzes. Conviction empowers. To be better, to do better, to grow stronger. To understand that our God is a righteous God, but He's also a God of grace as well as a God of glory. A God of love as well as a God of justice. So loving is He that while He did not suspend His righteousness, He paid the penalty required for us to come into His graces. Amen? Folks, that's enough to make a Baptist shout. I'm surprised we don't more often. So let's take a look at the Apostle Paul 
in one of my favorite passages of all of Scripture. He links that condemnation is no more in Christ Jesus. The anchor that, that, that would threaten our sense of joy has been loosed from us like the chains of a prisoner. As he writes in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 39, incidentally, I encourage you to write these references down in the flyleaf of your Bible. We know that in all things, good and bad, blessing and the dark night, the times when we know God is there and the times that He seems hidden to our earthly sensibilities. In all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to what? His purpose. So if we're in Him, no matter what, God's, no matter what life circumstance brings us, in living in a fallen world, there is a pathway that He has supplied already to not only see us through it, but help us to grow out of it, to continue to sculpt us in the image of His Son. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Before this world was created, before the foundations were laid, you were known to God. Jesus' sacrifice on Calvary was not a knee-jerk reaction to what Adam did. This was planned out long beforehand because Christ himself, Jesus himself, God himself knew you before eternity passed. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also what? Glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things, in response to the torture, in response to the depravity of the culture of that day, in response to the persecution of the Roman Empire, in response to all the death, all the famine, all the pestilence, all the, the evil that was in corrupt in the world at that time, not to mention the evil and corruption that's in the world at this time. What shall we say then to all of these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? I want you to notice how beautifully Paul phrases that. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Underline that in your copy of God's Word. In fact, highlight it, put Christmas tree lights around it, whatever you need to do. Make sure you don't forget that verse. Who condemns? There's only one person in this universe who has the ability to condemn, and he has chosen in you not to. Because when he stares at you, he does not see the remnants of the broken law the way that he saw them shattered in the Holy of Holies in the Ark of the Covenant. He doesn't see that broken law any longer. He only sees the blood of His Son. Hallelujah. He only sees the blood of His Son. Who is it then who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Did you know that you have the world's greatest prayer warrior whispering into God's ear for you on your behalf right now? Amen. 
Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger? Who shall separate us from the love of God Almighty? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all the day long. We are considered to be sheep for the slaughter. No! In all these things we are more than conquerors to him who first loved us. For I am convinced, I am persuaded, I know that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of, of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what separated the Baptists from the Puritans. What the law could not do, grace did. What we did to shame ourselves, God liberated us from. What we did to try to live a pious life so we could point to ourselves and say, oh, look at what a good person am I. God said, no, you're not, but I can change that if you'll let me. Rejoice in the Lord always. That was the difference. Not piety just to make yourself look proud. That was what we saw in those Puritans that we separated from so many centuries ago. But the virtues of the Holy Spirit that come to us, living those out instead of legalistic works, living out and putting on display the difference that Christ makes in your life for you yourself are a living miracle. You are the evidence that the, that the power of God is at work in this world today. When you put on the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, goodness, faithfulness, patience, forbearance, self-control, when you live out the fruit of the Spirit, people notice, and that draws others to you, wanting to know what the difference is. And one of the sustaining principles of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is indeed the discipline of joy. When you get that notice from a creditor that says you have X number of days or else, when you get that gas bill or that electric bill in the middle of midwinter as we're seeing in just a few weeks, and it says that you owe something outlandish and exorbitant, when you see the hurt and the pain in people's eyes that you know because this broken world has caused brokenness within them. How do you respond? To the Christian, to the maturing Christian, it should be that just as David did earlier in this message, we do not see, excuse me, we do not see the world through the world's own eyes. Rather, we see the world through God's. We allow ourselves through prayer, through supplication, through the study of God's Word, and through the coming together of fellow believers, which is the local church, to share each other's burdens and multiply each other's joys. When we exercise those disciplines, they make a difference that sustains us, that not only sustains us in the peace, the shalom of God, but also allows His joy to dwell within our hearts because we know, just as David did when he wrote down Psalm 30, that at the end of the night, joy comes in the morning.
a joy that this world cannot take away. I want you to imagine, because we're reflecting right now on what Israel, what the people of God were like before the coming of the Messiah, before the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit was something that you were sealed with until the day of redemption, when it was just here for a second and then moving about. What must it have been like for the Holy Spirit, for what, what must it have been like for the joy of God that you have access to right now to not be present? And for the people of God to only be sustained by the law of God, by the Torah. To come, to plead on God's behalf, to present animal sacrifices for our sins. To keep up the telling of the story, yes, but also to not have that constant indwelling presence of God. What must it have been like? Is it any wonder that they long for the day that God would come to them? That they long for the day that, that the clouds will be rolled back and they will see God face to face? What a privilege it must have been for Thomas to stare into the eyes of Christ and to ask him to show us the Father, and for Christ himself to say, if you have seen me, then you have what? You have seen the Father. For I and the Father are one. What a joy that must have been, and what a privilege it is for us today to live in a day when we have that direct access. That we don't have to have an earthly priest, we have the great high priest where we don't have to have an earthly intercessor that is as fallible as we are, but we can go to Him who is perfect, knowing that He will plead our case. That's the thing that Paul is trying, he's using courtroom language here. What he's effectively saying is you don't have to worry when you go before the judge because the judge and your defense attorney are the same guy. He's not going to lose his own case. Who is it that condemns? No one, because the judge has passed you through already. Amen? Here's something else that we need to consider. There's a difference between pain and suffering. Pain is inevitable. Pain is part of the human condition. Pain is something that we go through, whether it's losing a baby tooth to get an adult tooth, whether it is just taking a stumble as we grow older, whatever the case may be, there are times when pain will enter our lives. We live in a fallen world. There's also the unfortunate fact that we are not promised tomorrow, that we are not promised our next breath, and that just as we remain a part of this world, there are many of those that we love who go on before us. Many saints whose lives we love and cherish who are unfortunately not next to us any longer. But the question is, does the pain have to linger into suffering? Here's something that I want you to consider. John, uh, excuse me, the Apostle Paul, again, is writing from a Roman prison. Chronologically speaking, Philippians is one of his final epistles. He is about to go before Caesar. He knows that not only is the persecution visited upon his flock, but it is also very much going to be visited upon him very shortly. He knows 
what the outcome is most likely to be, and yet he has consigned himself. Now, he could, in his writing to this church, this church that has brought him a lavish gift of food, comfort, and so forth, who are praying for him earnestly, he could be complaining to them about the harshness of his conditions, the Roman centurions being in a dank Roman uh, dungeon, or a scorching one, depending upon the time of year. He could go out of his way to just bewail his circumstances, but the joy of the Lord is a part of who he is. And I want you to notice how he celebrates this. He's even, one of the things that I'm reminded of, he's being chained to Roman centurions day and night, but he's not being chained to keep him there. He's being chained to keep the centurions there because he keeps converting them. That's the funny thing. Every time he gets a new centurion, hey, have I told you about Jesus yet? And they do. These pagan Romans who are under the household of the very guy that's about to have Paul's head head cut off, they're now willing to risk their life to put rather the lives on the line to say Jesus Christ is Lord. From the midst of a Roman prison, Paul writes to the church at Philippi, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. In Lincolnshire, England, there was a separatist Puritan congregation that was gathering as their pastor, a man by the name of John Smith, S-M-Y-T-H, was reading this very passage. And he starts laughing out loud. Now I want you to imagine that for a second because Anglican pastors are not known for being emotional. They're not known for being awfully revivalist. Think about Puritans who are a little bit more rigid and rigorous. Think about separatist Puritans who are so legalistic you might as well call them Pharisees. Imagine one of their ilk starting to giggle to himself from a pulpit after reading God's Word. This caught their attention. And what he, well, the reason he was laughing is because as he was considering Paul's circumstances, and as he was reading these words, he realized that he himself had been living a lie, even as their pastor. That he was claiming the traditions of men and the law of the state as being almost greater than the word and the grace of God. And he sees Paul in his circumstances after being shipwrecked, beaten, threatened with his life, tortured, and now about to be beheaded. And Paul is writing to this church, rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. That's your heritage. That's what started the Baptist movement. The grace of God put on display before others. Let your gentleness be evident to all for the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. He's about to be executed. If anybody has a reason to be anxious, it's Paul. And here he is saying, be anxious about nothing, 
But in every situation, whether in, joy, whether in happiness or in sorrow, whether in joy or in grief, whether in light or in darkness, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, more literally it means fill your heart with. Think about such things. Let this be what sustains you in this fallen world. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. No matter what circumstances life puts in our way, no matter what the enemy puts in our path, dwell on the things of God. Fill your hearts with His praise, His thanksgiving, His wisdom, the joy that only He can provide. Now, really quickly, we'll go over what's the difference between happiness and joy because I think that you've gotten it by now. Peter is writing in his own persecution, only it's in the East at this time. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, greatly rejoice. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Through now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come to prove the genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined through fire. All this may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. This might as well have been written for us today. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. We have so much to sustain us through today. The hallmark of Christian maturity, one of the greatest hallmarks of Christian maturity, of spiritual maturity, is how do we handle life in a fallen world if we are constantly wavering between faith and doubt? Paul actually refers to us as being like a ship without anchor that just floats along wherever the tides carry it. But the anchor holds. If we can set our eyes on him, 
if we can remember that through all of life's circumstances, He knows your story from beginning to end already, even though you're living it in the here and now. He knows what is awaiting you. He's already planned it out. As we have read, all things work together for the glory of the Lord and for the good of those who are called according to His purpose. I know I just butchered the quote, but hang with me here. God has always and already provided a means for you to be blessed through no matter the circumstances that this life brings. Now, you may never be rich beyond your wildest imaginings on earth, but you are where it counts. You may not have a giant house when we get out of this service. But you have a mansion in a city that we have yet to see. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, this we know. But in Him, meaning Jesus, we have forgiveness. Through his, repentance, rather. Through His blood, the forgiving of sins, according to the riches of God's grace. If you are in Him, then your joy is complete right now. Even in the times when His face seems to be veiled, He has never left your side. Even in the times when you are weak, He is at His strongest. Even at the times when we look and we grieve over the circumstances of this life, nevertheless we have this hope that He who has begun a good work within you, He will fully draw it unto completion for our good and for His glory. And all God's people said, and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for that assurance that we have through you that all of the circumstances of this life are but a teaching tool in your hands. And that even when things get hard, even th when things get tough, even when things seem to go against us, Lord, we know that nevertheless you are walking beside us and that you Lord, will hold us through all things, that you will sustain us through all challenges, that you will provide the grace necessary for us to be conformed to the image of your Son. So Lord, as we now end the service of the Word and we enter the time of invitation, there may be those in the sound of my voice that have yet to know the fullness of that joy, that only know this world and its happiness, or that more likely have known this world and its sorrow that have known this world in its shame, that have known this world in its, its unforgiveness. Lord, for those hearts in the sound of my voice, let them know that in you there is forgiveness. Let them know that in you there is no shame. Let them know that in you all things work together. Even the bad of our lives, Lord, you may use to teach us, to grow us, Help us become not the person that this world wants us to be, but the person who you have created and redeemed us to be. Challenge us now to grow more and more into the image of your Son. And for those, again, that have not yet come to know you in a personal relationship, Lord, as the musicians prepare and as our voices raise to you in song, let them come forward now. Let them accept you and touch their master's hand before it does everlastingly too late. If there are any that need just a special reminder of your love in their lives, for whom the darkness has settled in, Lord, 
Bring them forward as well to dispel it and to reassure them of your grace and love. Lord, whatever the need may be on any heart gathered here, bring hearts to you in accordance with your will. As we dedicate this time and ourselves into your hands, use us now that we may signal and point to the God who is ready to save. For it is in the matchless name of Christ we pray, and all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us at High Lawn Baptist Church. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. At High Lawn, we believe that when you love God, you share His Word. When you love others, you spread the gospel. We would love for you to join us next time, and if possible, to join us in person. To contact or learn more about us, to donate to our ongoing ministry, or most importantly, to learn about the salvation offered to you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, visit us at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. Once again, thank you, and God bless you.